This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfreda, Georgia. During this time, Pastor Gardner answers various questions. You may be seated and we will have some questions and hopefully some answers, but we definitely have some questions. I uh, suppose that Trent start reading. I'll read those. Let's see. Uh, the, the question is, how can I continue witnessing to someone who doesn't believe the Bible is God's word or that Jesus is God's son? You know, that is a great uh, question. And I'm going to tell you my honest opinion. I never, ever defend the word of God. And I would not worry about defending that Jesus is God. If a person told me when I, if I'm dealing with a person and they say, I don't believe the Bible, I, I don't say a word. I don't say it's okay. Don't say it's not okay. I just simply say this. Well, you know, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if they say, well, I don't believe that. I say, well, let me ask you, did you ever sinned? And so I would go to their sin to what they've done wrong. See, many people say they don't believe the Bible. They don't, say, they don't believe that Jesus is God. But the truth is, if you continued, you just drive to where you're supposed to drive. Just ignore the question. Just ignore the doubt. And you pray the Holy Spirit of God works and works in their life. It always takes God. You'll never lead anybody to Christ. You'll never get people convinced. And if you were to, some people, I know they take a time, they say, back up and say, well, let me prove to you the Bible's the word of God. But, but the all honest truth is you're not going to prove it. You're not going to be able to prove that it's the Bible. You do not need to prove that a gun shoots. You need to pull the trigger. There's a difference. You can say all day long, this is a gun. You can explain all about the gun. You can explain what caliber it is. You can say what size the bullet is. You can say how much powder is in there. You can talk about how much the, the bullet weighs. You can tell how many feet per second is going to travel when it comes out. And that still won't impress them. But I'll tell you what will. Pull the trigger. It will impress them when it hits them. Say amen. You know what I would say to you is, tell them what the Bible says. Tell them what the Bible says and just go on. And if they walk away, that's fine. You keep praying for them and you keep going back to what the Bible says. And don't worry about it. It's not your place to convince. It's your place to announce. Next question. If I have a dream that I hate someone or covet something someone has, am I sinning? <laughs> well, it depends on if it's a daydream or a night dream, I guess. <laughs> if it's a night dream, you probably don't have a whole lot of control over it. Uh, you might want to confess it anyway when you wake up because it might be because you're trying to connive about how you could go about getting it. But if then if you're daydreaming, you probably are having a problem. So, you know, I would, uh, if I were you, I would, I, let me just say this to you. In Christ, you're a new creature. In Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Christ, you want to please God. In Christ, you want to walk in the light because he is light, just like what we saw this morning. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, your life is hid with Christ in God. If I were you and I, and I had some thought that I felt like was wrong, I would just say, Lord, I don't want to think like that. I want to think what's right. If I were you, I would try to take my thoughts to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I mean, I've said that so many times to you. Control the way you think. It is, uh, it is a fact 
that uh, what you think during the daytime often affects what happens at night during your dreams. So I'm not certain that it couldn't be something wrong. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, The Twilight Zone was a very famous TV show. That's back in the days of the black and white movies and the black and white TV and three channels and lots of snow on channels. Uh, but my parents let me watch The Twilight Zone, and every time they did, I had nightmares and kept them up all night, so it became a rule that I was not allowed to watch The Twilight Zone because of that. So I figured out how to watch The Twilight Zone. I liked watching it. It was scary, but I learned if I would think the right thoughts before I went to bed, it sure helped me have the right kind of dreams when I went to sleep. So I learned that. So I'll just say to you, control your thoughts. Philippians 4, 8. Let's read that verse there. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, uh, pure, lovely, of good report, of, uh, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And I would challenge you before if a thought crossed my mind to want things, then I think it crosses all of our minds to want things that we shouldn't want to, to have thoughts that we shouldn't have. We should just say, Lord, I don't want to think like that and focus your thoughts on the Lord Jesus and the things of the Bible, what he told you to think. By the way, you don't have to worry. Can I, uh, maybe I'd like to say one other thing. Show that question one more time, Patrick. Well, let me just show you this. You don't have to let me just say this. I think some of you, this idea of sinning, I don't, sometimes I think you almost maybe almost have a Catholic idea there. You do know your sins already paid for, right? And whenever you think or do what you shouldn't do, whenever you think or do what you shouldn't do, it's already been paid for. You shouldn't want to do it because you know it's not what's pleasing to the Father. It's not what's pleasing to God. But you're, you need to know right now you're already forgiven. So, so you ought to dislike the sin. You ought to say, hey, I don't want to do that. That's not who I am. That's not how I think. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Next question, sir. If God is sufficient for all our needs, then why did Adam need a helpmate in the Garden of Eden uh, before the fall? Wasn't God enough for him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a very good... That's a, you know what? God is, so, God is so sufficient that he knew what Adam needed and he gave him exactly what he needed. How's that? Uh, uh, um you know, God made you and he made you with every need you have. God is sufficient for all our needs. You also needed to eat before the fall. Before the fall. You all, God made us with a need for companionship before the fall. And God knew exactly what you needed. And God provided everything that you needed in the context that you needed. God knows that you need food. God knows that you need drink. God knows that you need companionship. And then God gave parameters about what was the correct way. God is all I need. But don't hold your breath. You'll die. <laughs> there you go. Uh, one thing God said, uh, one thing, Brother Tim said, one thing that God said was not good in creation, that, God, that Adam was by himself. But before, before God finished, that was all on the same day, remember? Before God finished, he had everything right. So he knew exactly what he was doing. So I think that that's probably, I'm not sure. Uh, where, where the, how, how the question originates and, who, and who's mine. But I would say this, God is sufficient for all of our needs. But that doesn't, you know, that, that could easily, you could be taking that so out of context. God's sufficient for all my needs, so I don't need to go to work tomorrow. God is sufficient for all my needs, so no. God's sufficient for all your needs, but God has told you what to do. And he has given you the answer in his word. Don't take that further than what it was actually meant by when the Bible said it. Next question, sir. How literal do we take the Bible? When the Bible says in Luke fourteen twelve through 14, Call not thy friend 
brothers, family, etc., but instead the poor, lame, and blind. How do we do this? Do I literally drive downtown to find these people, or do I just wait for an opportunity to find them and then act? Well, take your Bibles and go with me there, if you would. Let's look at that, and I, I think that's a good question. Let's just see what's happening. Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. When thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest thou also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. So when you make a feast, go find people that are in need. Do you, do you know, watch this, look this way. I want to tell you something, you read those scriptures, watch this. You know, God doesn't want you manipulating people. God doesn't want you using people. And what he was saying in that verse was that most of the, that much of what we do that appears to be not selfish is selfish by nature. So if I invite the rich guy over to my house and give him the best piece of chicken I can, then he invites me over to his house and gives me the best piece of prime rib or ribeye that he can. I, I win, I end up winning on that. If, uh, if I invite some big shot preacher to preach here at my church with a hundred, 125 people in it, maybe that guy with a thousand or 1200 invites me to his church and so i'm really not inviting him because i want his help or his blessing i'm inviting him so i can get something out of it and you ought not serve god to get something out of it you ought not serve others to get something out of it nobody in our church you ought not give gifts to get something out of it your life ought to be i am a giver i am not a taker i am not a user i'm not a manipulator i'm a giver some big givers carnal big givers give to control some little givers give to manipulate and guilt bigger people into doing favors for them and jesus said boys you got this all wrong it was never about what you could get out of others it's about being a blessing so your goal in life ought to be how can i bless and i'll tell you this it wouldn't be a thing wrong with you going downtown and finding somebody that's poor maimed lame or blind but you don't have to go to the examples. You, you, I mean, I don't want you calling your mom up and saying, Mom, I can't have you over to eat now. Because you got more money than I got. And if I have you over, I'd be doing what's wrong. That's not the, that's not the point of the, the verse. It's not the point of the verse that you can invite another brother from our church. It's the point of the, the, point of the verse is, are you using your gift? Are you using your, your invitation as a way to get something out of somebody else? So look at the verse. If you would look at verse 12 again and uh, read, read it with me and see what he says. He said, then said he also to him that bade him, when you, when you make a dinner... When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends nor your brethren, neither your kinsmen nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again and reward be made thee. Recompense be made thee. Uh, it's the idea. Well, you know, Esther, Esther does exactly that when she calls in, uh, Morde, uh, when she calls in uh, the king. When she calls the king in to, the, to her house, she makes a banquet for him and for Haman. And when he gets through, she gets through making a banquet, uh, the king looks at her and says, Hey, you can have anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she said, I just want you to come to one more banquet. So he says, All right, I'll come to one more banquet. She makes another banquet. And there she makes a plea to save the life of her people. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But in this context, here's what the Lord's saying. You know, did you know that people... Uh, that have a little bit of means sometime don't want to go to church with people that don't have means because the people that don't have means are looking for ways to take care of people or to get take advantage of people that do have means did you know we had a person visit here who was a doctor and who made it very clear to us that they did not want anybody to know they were a doctor you you, you know why don't you 
Because as soon as churches are, we'd all been back and said, man, so glad to have you at our church. We love you so much. By the way, I got this hemorrhoid right here. I got this, uh, I got this sore right here. I got this problem right here. And we'd be, and the doctor would be like, I didn't come to church for that. I, I do that all week long. I came to worship Jesus and be with my brothers. Don't take advantage of me. And so that's the real goal of that verse, I think. Next verse. Where do we draw the line for preparing for our future? I know we are supposed to trust God to provide, but shouldn't I be a good steward and save for retirement too? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, if you would. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. Uh, in the Bible, I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture. There is absolutely no reason why we should not prepare for the future. The Bible teaches that in more than one place. The, the problem is when you become a miser, when you want to hold on to your money. Look at, read with me, Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, and we'll read down to about verse 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Verse 9. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? You can keep reading. I think all the way down to verse 12, we won't. Look this way just one second. God made you to have enough wisdom to learn to prepare. He made his animals set aside food for the, he made his animals set aside food for the, uh, for the uh, winter time when they needed it. Living in, uh, you know, being a, uh, being, being a person who lives in a climate, a tropical climate tends to create a, like a lot lazier, uh, laid back kind of people. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that in America because we don't live that way so much. But if you go on the mission field where people know, hey, there'll be pineapples tomorrow and there'll be bananas tomorrow, uh, you'll, you'll find a, a great difference, a lot friendlier, looser, uh, laid back society because, hey, life's not a problem. The further north you go, the further, the further where the cold gets, you have to think, I had to prepare for winter. I have to prepare for winter. And so those people get together. They got to make sure their house is, is going to be airtight enough to stay warm in the wintertime. They got to make sure they have enough firewood to get them through the winter. They got to make sure they have enough food to get them through the winter. They got to make sure they got a way to take care of their animals through the winter. And they have to prepare. God meant for us to prepare. No Christian in this room. We ought not, we ought not all of, uh, we ought not all be in debt. We ought not all be living off of credit cards and trying to live off the future earnings that we haven't had. We ought to be preparing and putting some money away. And that ought to be one of our, one of our goals. We ought to put money away. Now go with me to Matthew 6. And I think verse 24. Let's see if that's the verse. Yeah, we'll start in verse 24. We'll just skip down just a little bit. Look at Matthew 6. Here's the balance. I am to lay aside. I ought to have some planning. I ought to prepare for when I am old or when I get sick. Uh, I have known Christians that say, I don't need health insurance. I'll trust God. I think that would be a very foolish move. Go to the anthosucker, consider her ways and be wise. I've known people that say, I don't need life insurance. And I'm just going to let my wife take care of these 25 kids when I drop dead and everything will be okay. I would say you go to the, go to the anthosucker, consider her ways and be wise. Uh, uh, I would say there are people that might say, well, when I'm old, uh, my kids will take care of me. I would say you go to the ant, thou sluggard. Consider her ways to be wise. Let's make some preparations for the future. We are going to get older. Uh, I don't think you really ought to think in terms of retiring and living in, uh, you know, the, you know, Arizona and Florida are like waiting rooms to die. That's where everybody moves and they're going to wait to die and get to heaven. It's like the, it's like the waiting room at the emergency room. You get there and you just sit there and wait. That ought not be our attitude. In Matthew 6, 24, you get the other attitude. 
No man can serve two masters. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, else he'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, or God and material things, God and money. You can't serve both of them. Then he goes down to it and he says, hey, the, the plants don't have to worry about how, how they're going to dress. My birds don't have to worry about how they're going to eat. I take care of all that stuff. And then he goes to verse 33 and he says, look at verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to look at verse 34 with me, and then I'll I'll try to sum it up and go to verse 34. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So let me just kind of sum up what I think the Bible would teach there. I'll not worry about tomorrow. I ought to live today. It's the only day I have. I ought to honor God today. I ought to serve God today. I ought to be a giver today. I ought to not worry about what's going to go wrong tomorrow. You know, our country's in trouble. And what's going to happen? I, I meet some of you, not here. I don't think we got very many at our church. I know some people that are like, uh, man, they are hoarding gold. And they are, they are hoarding food. And they're getting guns ready for when everything falls apart. Well, yeah, I really, you say, what are you doing? Well, I'm not very worried about that. Twelve years ago, they were going to have... 12 years ago, they were going to have Y2K and everybody in the world was buying stuff and saving it up. I was wide awake, loving life. I was waiting for the first person to hit that. And I was on the, I was on the internet with friends in Australia and everywhere else. And I watched it as it came across the whole world fell apart and evolution started all over. You remember that, right? Nothing happened, but I want you to know, you can trust God. Today's the only day given to give us this day, our daily bread. The manna fell for today. The only time it didn't fall was on the Sabbath. And you're told to get enough on the, on the day before the Sabbath to take care of you. You get, a, you get enough on Friday to take you through Saturday. I tell you this. You ought to prepare for the future, but you ought never let money ever be that big a deal to you. It's a tool you use. You have money. Money doesn't have you. And we ought to be givers. We ought to be very careful. Some people, they get, they get Proverbs 6 in their minds so much they can't give to anybody. They live really weird ways of living. They don't give. They're, they're, they're scared to death about tomorrow. They're going to buy a gun and shoot. Everybody comes to try to steal their stuff. Dumb, 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 dumb. Then there's another bunch of people that like, hey, I don't know. Eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Dumb, dumb, dumb. There's kind of a balance in the Bible. Both are taught. Well, I just made three people mad and four of you leaving the church. Next verse. Next question. Uh, when are we getting walls? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we believe in a gospel without walls. And, uh, uh, well, when are you going to give enough money to get walls? I'll put it that way. <laughs> Jesus answered the question with a question. Uh, Lord willing, someone has, uh, someone has, uh, has spoken to me about a possible future offering and we'll be doing something right here, Lord willing. Maybe they're checking into that. There's a possibility that's going to happen. Who knows if that'll really happen. I don't, uh, the men of the church, when I've talked to them, have not really wanted to invest money in fixing this building up a whole lot more. We want to wait towards when we get in there. But I'll be honest with you, if like somebody else would say to me, hey, I think we need walls and depends on how much you think we need them. If you think we need them enough to lay the jack down, we'll put the walls up tomorrow. Say amen right there. Next question. And by the way, somebody, they did say something to me about the paint. You know what I said? Hey, you pay for it, we'll paint it. How's that for a deal? Don't, but not green. Black was wild enough. We don't need another one. Can, can you, you, can you give an update on the Fulton County church? Uh, 1100 
11,757. 11,927 dollars. So nearly $12,000 has come in. Uh, that is all I can tell you. Uh, the summit is over, but my life still is, my life's still pretty hectic, but we'll be uh, finding out some things. Uh, this week we have a, 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 a meeting called the Latin Bridge where we'll be meeting with the, this Wednesday night. There'll be a, a, a missionary who the Lord has used to start 250 churches in Kenya. He'll be here. He'll be with us on Thursday. He'll be on Thursday night. He'll be on Friday. Then we have a retreat Friday and Saturday for people reaching mission, uh, reaching the Latin world. And so then that ends. And then the next week, I think it is, I'll even go to uh, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, and uh, a Voice in the Villages trip. And so, but after that, Lord willing, I've come back and we're going to really put some work in it. I hope you'll pray. What's the update? The update is God's given the money. Uh, I am asking God to show us what part of Fulton County. There's 1,200,000 people in that area. Somebody needs to start a church there. We have the money maybe to get the groundwork done. Uh, there is no preacher. I constantly get asked, who's the preacher that's going to take over and do that? You are. You know, everybody, everybody in our church ought to be involved in ministry, and I'm praying you'll go with us. I'm praying you give extra time to visit. I'm praying you give extra time to, 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 to help reach people, to help start all the things that go on over there, and that we would be able to get a church going uh, sometime uh, in the spring of this year. So our target date is Easter. That's probably the best I can give you right now. Where in the Bible would you suggest for a new believer to start reading again? How much would you encourage them to read? How would you encourage them to read? Uh, you know, uh, a new believer, I'd probably tell them to go ahead and start in John or, 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 or one of the gospels. I probably wouldn't tell them to start in Genesis, but for all of you that are anywhere, if you've been saved very long at all, I would start in Genesis and I would just read the whole book. I would read the whole Bible. And let me just, let me just kind of give you a couple of instructions on that. There are going to be lots of days when you read your Bible that you get little or nothing out of it. You know, you say, well, that's terrible. Hey, it's normal. Jim Elliott, the great missionary who was killed in the, in the 50s, I guess it was 40s or 50s, there, 50, about the time I was born, he was killed by the Alka Indians. He wrote a book, and his book, uh, his life story just transformed my life. God used it greatly in my life. He died before he was uh, 30 years of age. And uh, if you read the, the, the life and testament of Jim Elliott, it's all good, and it's all the good stuff. But if you get the real big book, which has all of his devotions in it, it says stuff like this, dry reading today got nothing that was his whole devotional entry next day pretty dry again <laughs> next day hard plowing today and so you know his wife left all that out so it looked like everything went good but the best people in your life that you know about when you read the bible you're going to come across things that you don't know and you don't understand but it's all good for you and so you just read it and it's the word of God, read the Bible and, and let it get into your heart. So I, I, I would, I would really love to see you start in Genesis. Go ahead and read the three chapters for today. Go ahead tomorrow and read four, five, and six, read three to five chapters every day. Finish the whole Bible next year. If you have questions, come ask them. That's why I just, Hey, foundations. One of the things you ought to do every time you meet with the person that's training you is say, man, I was reading and I don't get this, but I'll tell you this. I've read the Bible dozens of times. And there are many things in the Bible I simply don't get. Watch this one. They're, the guys who write all the books that are so smart and they know everything, they skip lots of verses. They're like, I got this, and they explain it all the way up here, and they stop. 
And you want to know what's going on in this verse. So you look in their book and they went up to here and they start here. And you say, I knew up to here and I knew starting there. That's the verse I need help in. And they're like, well, I did too. That's why I skipped it. So it's a big book. It's a God book. It's bigger than any of us. And you are never going to understand it. By the way, you don't understand this verse. John eleven thirty five, shortest verse in the Bible. Nobody in this room understands it. Jesus wept. You know, you got a teeny tiny little understanding. We don't understand that. You know why? Because however much we understand, I promise you this, it's a divine word. It is a God word. It is so much more. We'll probably get to heaven and he'll say, let me explain Jesus wept. And we'll be like, wow, how in the world could there be that much in those two words? He'd say, because I'm God and I wrote it. Because it's his book. Amen. Uh, let me see the question one more time. Make sure I answered all that and how much I skipped. Where would you suggest start reading John or Genesis? I think I just told you about that. And you know, let me say this. Every one of you, can I suggest that you do this every day, write down one sentence out of what you read in the Bible. One sentence, uh, Genesis one through three. Maybe you finished today. You could just write this Genesis one through three, January 1st, 2012. God created the world. That's it. You say, that's all you got. But if you keep doing that all of your life, you will put together literally hundreds of thoughts that will eventually start making more and more sense to you. So read the Bible every way you can. Next question. What is the best parenting advice you can give? <laughs> Pray. I'll give, two, I'll give you two, two things I think are the most important. Number one, I don't think anybody really knows how to raise children. Any human, I know God knows, uh, but it takes God. And it, so I really think you ought to pray for your kids. Then you ought to wake up in the morning and pray for your kids. You ought to hold them in your arms and pray for them. You ought to pray for them when they're full grown. You ought to pray. They ought to always be on your heart. And it's always going to be God and his grace and his work that changes people's lives. I would really pray for my kids. The second thing I would say is this. You ought to build such an environment of love around your child that whenever you have to discipline them, just a cross word will literally rip their heart out. They need to hear, I love you, 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 I love you. I'm disappointed. And they ought to go, and it ought to be like the end of the world. Then I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We raised four children and they are all serving the Lord and it is all the grace of God because I know that I was not a very good dad. When Chris was little, totally different today probably, but when Chris was little, I could look at Chris and I could say, I just can't believe you did that. It would break his heart. But I could look at Stephanie and I'd say, I can't believe you did that. And she'd just go like this. And I'd say, we're going to whip you. And she'd say, it's almost like she said, bring it on. Then we would take her up and beat the living devil out of her. I mean, buddy, we were, we're from the old days. And she would, when you got through beating her, she said, what she'd do, she'd go, no tears, no crying, hard hard hearted hannah but he meaner than the devil then run in her room and cry on her pillow we didn't know that till later her, her sister told us uh and said that's what she used to do they're not all the same but i tell you this i think probably if anything the world's going to love on your kids enough they ought to know you love them and i'd say an environment of love is probably the best thing well, i give uh, many bring that up i think of other stuff i'll give you another one i think it's great love your spouse but if they know you love your spouse and you don't have to worry about, am I going to be divided from mom and daddy? They ought not. They ought to know you love each other and adore each other. And you're not going anywhere. It's getting close to time. What's the next question? John 5:31. Jesus says that he does not bear witness of himself, 
But in John 8:41, Jesus says he does bear record of himself. Is Jesus contradicting himself? No. Watch this. Jesus doesn't bear record of himself in this sense. And we're reading, and John, I'm glad you're keeping up and you're knowing that. Jesus doesn't bear witness of himself because no wit- the Bible never accepts he said, she said. The Bible never accepts he said, she said. The Bible never accepts the witness of one person against another person. You could never put anybody to death and you couldn't punish anybody at the witness of one. So the point is, Jesus said, hey, I'm not my witness. I'm not my witness. My father is my witness. I and my father are my witness. So he does bear record of himself, but he's not by himself. In John 8, we were there today. And in John 8, he said, I do bear witness of myself and my father bears witness of me. But he's not his own. He doesn't say I'm my only witness. And so it's not, it's not that it's a contradiction. It is that there is no, he said, she said in the Bible. Uh, in Christianity, our favorite hobby is gossip. We say, he said, she said, no witnesses. Nobody knows whether it's true or not. Nobody ever checks. Big preachers don't even talk to each other to find out what's true. We just like to talk about stuff. Bible days, you had to be witness. You had to have witnesses. They brought the lady taken in adultery. They had to have witnesses. It's always that. So Jesus doesn't bear witness of himself. He doesn't bear witness of himself. Jesus bears witness of himself. His father bears witness. The scriptures bear witness. Creation bears witness. The conscience bears witness. Everything bears witness that Jesus is the son of God. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, verses 20 and 21, talking about saved people. Um, is 2 Peter chapter 2, 20 through 21, talking about saved people. Or people who heard of the truth and completely rejected it. Second Peter two twenty and twenty one. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they'd known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I want to say to you, I think that's like a parallel passage to uh, Matthew 13, is it? I believe it's Matthew 13. It talks about the four kinds of soil. It talks about the stony ground and, 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 and the one that fell between the, in the weeds. And there are a lot of people that come forth with uh, shallow testimonies of salvation and say they're saved. And they're not truly saved. This is a dog turning back to his vomit, a sow going back to his mire. I believe it's a lost person who got in and acted saved. A lot of people that turn their back on the Lord and you think they're saved and they're still living in sin. The truth of the matter is, let me just explain bluntly what I really believe the Bible says and teaches about this. Here's what it teaches, I think. Either you will change or you will be chastised, but you cannot stay the same. If you get saved, if you get saved, God will he that began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will perfect it. Uh, Romans eight twenty nine. he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. God is at work in you, and he will take you all the way through. And so if a person gets, into, uh, gets saved, quote, unquote, and then goes all the way back to the same pit he came from and never comes out of that, you can pretty well be sure he probably wasn't saved. Now, let me say this. I can't judge that. I can't judge if he went out because I'm not the one that's going to be able to judge that. And the Lord may be really working on him and he may be going to get his life right with God. But I would say to you that's talking about lost people. Why does the Bible use the number seven so many times? Because God likes it. Okay. Um, 
uh, I don't know. I'm not into numerology. Seven is a symbol of completeness and perfection in God, as they say. And that's the best answer I'm going to give you. There are whole books written on numerology. I think it's a dangerous thing. I can tell you that I've read books that say five is the number of grace and five is the number of death in a different book. just depends on who wrote the book. So he likes seven. Seven seems to be the weak and the complete. Solomon's Solomon's, uh, throne was six steps up. Solomon's throne was six steps up. Man's number is 666, so I think seven's a reference to God and his power. Is it better to marry or stay single? I'm confused because of 1 Corinthians 7, 8, Genesis 2, 20. <laughs> well, it sure was better for me to get married. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that the last question? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would. Let's look at that right quick. The Apostle Paul seems to almost be against marriage in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But if you read the chapter, his whole thought in the chapter is this. Hey, times are, the, the times are evil. Jesus is coming soon. We don't have much time. Every married guy ought to live like he's single, and every single guy ought to stay single. And the only reason you ought to get married is because you can't help it. You've got to get married. Uh, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Uh, Talking about the times. Uh, I think it's verse 30. Let's see. 730 or 32 maybe. Go to 732. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32. I would have you without carefulness. He that's unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord. That he may please the Lord. He that's married cares for the things of the world. How he may please his wife. So look this way real quickly. If you're going to let your wife or your husband keep you from serving God. You ought not get married. Your spouse should never take the place of the Lord. Your spouse should never be sitting on the throne of your heart. Your spouse should always come in second, but only to the Father. When I say the Father, I mean all the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God. She should come in second. I should be willing to lose my wife for God. I should be willing to serve God even if I didn't get a wife. So that, that's, that's never the issue. But I'm going to tell you that 99.9% of the time, you probably ought to get married. And marriage is a man and a woman, and it's a lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And if you've already been through a divorce and your heart's broken, but you're with another person, then from right where you are, one man, one lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime from here on out. And so uh, God made man. And he didn't give him a help meet. And then he gave him a help meet. And that help meet was to help him do the work that God gave him to do. In 1 Corinthians, Paul's like, time's too short. And all you guys, every one of you guys I see getting married, you know what you do? You can't come to church because your wife doesn't feel like coming. You can't come to church because your husband's got a headache. You can't, all you do is use your spouse for an excuse. You get married and you use your spouse as an excuse. I wish y'all wouldn't get married. So I'll tell you this. I really believe that Betty has been a helpmeet to me. That means a person that was fitted to help me do the work that I've done. And so from the beginning, here's God's plan. This is, and this is a little bit of a shocker. And it's a little strong. But God's plan is never for women to be in charge. Say amen. If you're a man enough to say it. Ask permission. 
God's plan is always for men to be in charge. I know that's not politically correct, but it's God's plan from the book of Genesis on. And every wife needs to understand that in God's economy, your career is not the important career. Well, you you ladies will not like that one. But God gave a man a job to do and a wife to help him do that job. Nothing wrong with you having a career. Nothing wrong. Proverbs 31 woman gives me a right to say that she did work outside the home. So nothing wrong with that. But you know what? You are there to help your husband. So should you get married? Yeah, get married. But if you get married, know this. You're getting married for life. For life. Don't you get married unless it's for life. And don't you get married and ever let marriage hinder you. From doing what God wants you to do. Marriage should never hinder you from doing exactly what God would have you do with your life. It ought to be that you're a better servant of God. By the way, ladies, can I just say this? Man, uh, fire me. It's 2012. My, my, my resolution, find a new job. You ready for this? Man, raising kids is one of the most godly, wonderful things any of you mothers could, any of you ladies could ever do. One of the greatest things you could ever do for the kingdom is all the hours and all the time you'd invest in a child. You ought never. This world embarrasses you about being a mother. It's like you ought to be ashamed that you're a mother. (laughs) The opposite is true. It ought to be like, glory to God, I am a mom. I get to raise children. I get to teach children. I get to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and the nurture of the Lord. And this is the most exciting, wonderful work I can do. Hey, your, your nursery, your house is like a pulpit for the greatest preacher in the world. You get to train men. You, ought to, you ladies ought to shout. You ought to shout. And just going to, boy. And it'd be awful good if our men worked and paid the bills and let their wives take care of the babies. I read a verse that said keepers at home. Now, I know that goes against the philosophy, and I know things are hard, and I'm not saying, I don't want you to, don't dare go home and say, boy, he's being ugly to us tonight. No, I just want you to understand, being a mom, sacrifice what you got to do, raise them kids. Hey, eat more beans and less meat, but raise those kids. Raise those kids. And you mothers, boy, don't you let Oprah or Phil or Joel or whoever that might like to talk to you about your need for your career. The greatest career you could have is raising children. Oh, to be the mother of Adonai Judson. Oh, to be the mother that raised William Carey. Oh, to be the mother that raised Trent Cornwell. And I mean that from the bottom. No mocking intended. No playing. Can you imagine his mother, Trent's mother... She'll never go down in the annals of great preachers. But God is already using Trent in a way that is unreal. And though we may never on this earth recognize her as having done much, she gave birth to and raised and trained a man that loves Jesus and loves the Bible. What a privilege. Ladies, get married, have babies, and raise them for Jesus. Man. I need a new church. Have Bible, we'll travel. Uh, Gentlemen, let's take an offering. Have Bible, we'll travel. That's my life's motto. Let's take an offering uh, and uh, give give as the Lord has blessed you. And uh, then right after this offering and this song, uh, Brother Trent will come with the, the announcements. Uh, uh, by the way, can I just say this? Anything I did, anything I said that I didn't show you a Bible verse for, mark it up to the opinion of a rambling idiot. And anything I showed you a Bible verse for, you take that and go with it. But I will tell you this. It is clear in the Bible 
it is clear in the Bible that God gave a job to the man, made a woman to be his helpmeet, and all through the Bible, God's work is done through the men that he calls to do that in women that he gives to help them. Father, bless this offering. Honor your name through it. Carry the gospel to the world. Bless everybody that's here. Thank you for a wonderful church that even on New Year's Day, they came to church and they were here in town. Thank you for those of our family that are traveling. Uh, they're all over the place and they're traveling and they'll be home for next week. But I just pray you bless and use all this for your honor and glory. And I give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. You have been listening to Austin Gardner, pastor of Vision Baptist Church. For contact information, location, service times, or more audio and video recordings, log on to www.visionbaptist.com. This message was recorded at Vision Baptist Church in Alfreda, Georgia. During this time, Pastor Gardner answers various questions. You may be seated and we will have some questions and hopefully some answers, but we definitely have some questions. I uh, suppose that Trent's not reading. I'll read those. Let's see. Uh, the, the question is, how can I continue witnessing to someone who doesn't believe the Bible is God's word or that Jesus is God's son? You know, that is a great uh, question. And I'm going to tell you my honest opinion. I never, ever defend the word of God. And I would not worry about defending that Jesus is God. If a person told me when I, if I'm dealing with a person and they say, I don't believe the Bible, I, I don't say a word. I don't say it's okay. Don't say it's not okay. I just simply say this. Well, you know, the Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And if they say, well, I don't believe that. I say, well, let me ask you, did you ever sinned? And so I would go to their sin to what they've done wrong. See, many people say they don't believe the Bible. They don't, say, they don't believe that Jesus is God. But the truth is, if you continued, you just drive to where you're supposed to drive. Just ignore the question. Just ignore the doubt. And you pray the Holy Spirit of God works in, works in their life. It always takes God. You'll never lead anybody to Christ. You'll never get people convinced. And if you were to, some people, I know they take a time, they say, back up and say, well, let me prove to you the Bible's the word of God. But, but the all honest truth is you're not going to prove it. You're not going to be able to prove that it's the Bible. You do not need to prove that a gun shoots. You need to pull the trigger. There's a difference. You can say all day long, this is a gun. You can explain all about the gun. You can explain what caliber it is. You can say what size the bullet is. You can say how much powder is in there. You can talk about how much the, the bullet weighs. You can tell how many feet per second is going to travel when it comes out. And that still won't impress them. But I'll tell you what will. Pull the trigger. It will impress them when it hits them. Say amen. You know what I would say to you is, tell them what the Bible says. Tell them what the Bible says and just go on. And if they walk away, that's fine. You keep praying for them and you keep going back to what the Bible says. And don't worry about it. It's not your place to convince. It's your place to announce. Next question. If I have a dream that I hate someone or covet something someone has, am I sinning? <laughs> well, it depends on if it's a daydream or a night dream, I guess. <laughs> if it's a night dream, you probably don't have a whole lot of control over it. Uh, you might want to confess it anyway when you wake up because it might be because you're trying to connive about how you could go about getting it. But if then if you're daydreaming, you probably are having a problem. So, 
you know, I would, uh, if I were you, I would, let me just say this to you. In Christ, you're a new creature. In Christ, you're a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. In Christ, you want to please God. In Christ, you want to walk in the light because he is light, just like what we saw this morning. Uh, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, your life is hid with Christ in God. If I were you and I, and I had some thought that I felt like was wrong, I would just say, Lord, I don't want to think like that. I want to think what's right. If I were you, I would try to take my thoughts to Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. I mean, I've said that so many times to you. Control the way you think. It is, uh, it is a fact that uh, what you think during the daytime often affects what happens at night during your dreams. So I'm not certain that it couldn't be something wrong. I remember when I was a little boy, uh, The Twilight Zone was a very famous TV show. That's back in the days of the black and white movies and the black and white TV and three channels and lots of snow on channels. Uh, but my parents let me watch The Twilight Zone, and every time they did, I had nightmares and kept them up all night, so it became a rule that I was not allowed to watch The Twilight Zone because of that. So I figured out how to watch The Twilight Zone. I liked watching it. It was scary, but I learned if I would think the right thoughts before I went to bed, it sure helped me have the right kind of dreams when I went to sleep. So I learned that. So I'll just say to you, control your thoughts. Philippians 4, 8. Let's read that verse there. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, just, uh, pure, lovely, of good report, of, uh, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And I would challenge you before if a thought crossed my mind to want things, then I think it crosses all of our minds to want things that we shouldn't want to, to have thoughts that we shouldn't have. We should just say, Lord, I don't want to think like that and focus your thoughts on the Lord Jesus and the things of the Bible, and what he told you to think. By the way, you don't have to worry. Can I, uh, maybe I'd like to say one other thing. Show that question one more time, Patrick. Well, let me just show you this. You don't have to let me just say this. I think some of you, this idea of sinning, I don't, sometimes I think you almost maybe almost have a Catholic idea there. You do know your sins already paid for, right? And whenever you think or do what you shouldn't do, whenever you think or do what you shouldn't do, it's already been paid for. You shouldn't want to do it because you know it's not what's pleasing to the Father. It's not what's pleasing to God. But you're, you need to know right now you're already forgiven. So, so you ought to dislike the sin. You ought to say, hey, I don't want to do that. That's not who I am. That's not how I think. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. Next question, sir. If God is sufficient for all our needs, then why did Adam need a helpmate in the Garden of Eden uh, before the fall? Wasn't God enough for him? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that is a very good... That's a, you know what? God is, so, God is so sufficient that he knew what Adam needed and he gave him exactly what he needed. How's that? Uh, uh, um you know, God made you and he made you with every need you have. God is sufficient for all our needs. You also needed to eat before the fall. Before the fall. You all, God made us with a need for companionship before the fall. And God knew exactly what you needed and God provided everything that you needed in the context that you needed. God knows that you need food. God knows that you need drink. God knows that you need companionship. And then God gave parameters about what was the correct way. God is all I need. But don't hold your breath. You'll die. There you go. Uh, one thing God said, uh, one thing, Brother Tim says, one thing that God said was not good in creation, that, God, that Adam was by himself. But before, before God finished, that was all on the same day, remember? Before God finished, he had everything right. So he knew exactly what he was doing. So I think that that's probably, I'm not sure, 
uh, where, where the, how, how the question originates and, who, and who's mine. But I would say this, God is sufficient for all of our needs. But that doesn't, you know, that, that could easily, you could be taking that so out of context. God's sufficient for all my needs, so I don't need to go to work tomorrow. God is sufficient for all my needs, so no. God's sufficient for all your needs, but God has told you what to do, and he has given you the answer in his word. Don't take that further than what it was actually meant by when the Bible said it. Next question, sir. How literal do we take the Bible? When the Bible says in Luke fourteen twelve through 14, Call not thy friend, um, brothers, family, etc., but instead the poor, lame, and blind. How do we do this? Do I literally drive downtown to find these people, or do I just wait for an opportunity to find them and then act? Well, take your Bibles and go with me there if you would. Let's look at that, and I, I think that's a good question. Let's just see what's happening. Luke chapter 14, Luke chapter 14, starting in verse 12. When thou makest a dinner or supper, call not thy friends, nor thy brethren, neither, neither thy kinsmen, nor thy rich neighbors, lest thou also bid thee again, and a recompense be made thee. So when you make a feast, go find people that are in need. Do you, do you know, watch this, look this way. I want to tell you something, you read those scriptures, watch this. You know, God doesn't want you manipulating people. God doesn't want you using people. And what he was saying in that verse was that most of the, that much of what we do that appears to be not selfish is selfish by nature. So if I invite the rich guy over to my house and give him the best piece of chicken I can, then he invites me over to his house and gives me the best piece of prime rib or ribeye that he can. I, I win, I end up winning on that. If, uh, if I invite some big shot preacher to preach here at my church with a hundred, 125 people in it, maybe that guy with a thousand or 1200 invites me to his church and so i'm really not inviting him because i want his help or his blessing i'm inviting him so i can get something out of it and you ought not serve god to get something out of it you ought not serve others to get something out of it nobody in our church you ought not give gifts to get something out of it your life ought to be i am a giver i am not a taker i am not a user i'm not a manipulator i'm a giver some big givers Carnal big givers give to control. Some little givers give to manipulate and guilt bigger people into doing favors for them. And Jesus said, boys, you got this all wrong. It was never about what you could get out of others. It's about being a blessing. So your goal in life ought to be, how can I bless? And I'll tell you this, it wouldn't be a thing wrong with you going downtown and finding somebody that's poor, maimed, lame, or blind. But you don't have to go to the examples. You, you, I mean, I don't want you calling your mom up and saying, Mom, I can't have you over to eat now. Because you got more money than I got. And if I have you over, I'd be doing what's wrong. That's not the, that's not the point of the, the verse. It's not the point of the verse that you can invite another brother from our church. It's the, point of the, the point of the verse is, are you using your gift? Are you using your, your invitation as a way to get something out of somebody else? So look at the verse. If you would look at verse 12 again and uh, read, read it with me and see what he says. He said, then said he also to him that bade him, when you, when you make a dinner... When you make a dinner or a supper, call not your friends nor your brethren, neither your kinsmen nor your rich neighbors, lest they also bid thee again, and reward be made thee. Recompense be made thee. Uh, it's the idea. Well, you know, Esther, Esther does exactly that when she calls in, uh, Mordecai, uh, when she calls in uh, the king. 
When she calls the king in to, the, to her house, she makes a banquet for him and for Haman. And when he gets through, she gets through making a banquet, uh, the king looks at her and says, Hey, you can have anything you want up to half the kingdom. And she says, I just want you to come to one more banquet. So he says, All right, I'll come to one more banquet. So she makes another banquet. And there she makes a plea to save the life of her people. There's nothing at all wrong with that. But in this context, here's what the Lord's saying. You know, did you know that people... Uh, that have a little bit of means sometime don't want to go to church with people that don't have means because the people that don't have means are looking for ways to take care of people or to get take advantage of people that do have means did you know we had a person visit here who was a doctor and who made it very clear to us that they did not want anybody to know they were a doctor you you, you know why don't you because as soon as churches are, we'd all been back and said, man, so glad to have you at our church. We love you so much. By the way, I got this hemorrhoid right here. I got this, uh, I got this sore right here. I got this problem right here. And we'd be, and the doctor would be like, I didn't come to church for that. I, I do that all week long. I came to worship Jesus and be with my brothers. Don't take advantage of me. And so that's the real goal of that verse, I think. Next verse. Where do we draw the line for preparing for our future? I know we are supposed to trust God to provide, but shouldn't I be a good steward and save for retirement too? Open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6, if you would. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 6. Uh, in the Bible, I'm going to show you two passages of Scripture. There is absolutely no reason why we should not prepare for the future. The Bible teaches that in more than one place. The, the problem is when you become a miser, when you want to hold on to your money. Look at read with me Proverbs chapter 6, verse 6, and we'll read down to about verse 8. Go to the ant, thou sluggard, consider her ways and be wise, which having no guide, overseer, or ruler, provideth her meat in the summer and gathereth her food in the harvest. Verse 9. How long wilt thou sleep, O sluggard? When wilt thou arise out of thy sleep? You can keep reading. I think all the way down to verse 12, we won't. Look this way just one second. God made you to have enough wisdom to learn to prepare. He made his animals set aside food for the, he made his animals set aside food for the, uh, for the uh, winter time when they needed it. Living in, uh, you know, being a, uh, being, being a person who lives in a climate, a tropical climate tends to create a, like a lot lazier, uh, laid back kind of people. You wouldn't know, you wouldn't know that in America because we don't live that way so much. But if you go on the mission field where people know, hey, there'll be pineapples tomorrow and there'll be bananas tomorrow, uh, you'll, you'll find a, a great difference, a lot friendlier, looser, uh, laid back society because, hey, life's not a problem. The further north you go, the further, the further where the cold gets, you have to think, I had to prepare for winter. I have to prepare for winter. And so those people get together. They got to make sure their house is, is going to be airtight enough to stay warm in the wintertime. They got to make sure they have enough firewood to get them through the winter. They got to make sure they have enough food to get them through the winter. They got to make sure they got a way to take care of their animals through the winter. And they have to prepare. God meant for us to prepare. No Christian in this room. We ought not, we ought not all of, uh, we ought not all be in debt. We ought not all be living off of credit cards and trying to live off the future earnings that we haven't had. We ought to be preparing and putting some money away. And that ought to be one of our, one of our goals. We ought to put money away. Now go with me to Matthew 6. And I think verse 24. Let's see if that's the verse. Yeah, we'll start in verse 24. We'll just skip down just a little bit. Look at Matthew 6. Here's the balance. I am to lay aside. I ought to have some planning. I ought to prepare for when I am old or when I get sick. 
uh, I have known Christians that say, I don't need health insurance, I'll trust God. I think that would be a very foolish move. Go to the anti-sucker, consider ways, and be wise. I've known people that say, I don't need life insurance, and I'm just going to let my wife take care of these 25 kids when I drop dead, and everything will be okay. I would say, you go to the, go to the anti-sucker, consider her ways, and be wise. Uh, uh, I would say there are people that might say, well, when I'm old, uh, my kids will take care of me. I would say you go to the head, thou sluggard. Consider her ways to be wise. Let's make some preparations for the future. We are going to get older. Well, I don't think you really ought to think in terms of retiring and living in, uh, you know, the, you know, Arizona and Florida are like waiting rooms to die. That's where everybody moves and they're going to wait to die and get to heaven. It's like the, it's like the waiting room at the emergency room. You get there and you just sit there and wait. That ought not be our attitude. In Matthew six twenty four, you get the other attitude. No man can serve two masters. For either you'll hate the one and love the other, or else you'll hold the one and despise the other. You can't serve God and mammon, or God and material things, God and money. You can't serve both of them. Then he goes down through this and says, hey, the, the plants don't have to worry about how, how they're going to dress. My birds don't have to worry about how they're going to eat. I take care of all that stuff. And then he goes to verse 33, and he says, look at verse 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Seek first the kingdom of God. I want you to look at verse 34 with me, and then I'll I'll try to sum it up and go to verse 34. Take no thought for the morrow, for the morrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. So let me just kind of sum up what I think the Bible would teach there. I'll not worry about tomorrow. I ought to live today. It's the only day I have. I ought to honor God today. I ought to serve God today. I ought to be a giver today. I ought to not worry about what's going to go wrong tomorrow. You know, our country's in trouble. And what's going to happen? I, I meet some of you, not here. I don't think we got very many at our church. I know some people that are like, uh, man, they are hoarding gold. And they are, they are hoarding food. And they're getting guns ready for when everything falls apart. Well, yeah, I really, you say, what are you doing? Well, I'm not very worried about that. 12 years ago, they were going to have, 12 years ago, they were going to have Y2K. And everybody in the world was buying stuff and saving it up. I was wide awake, loving life. I was waiting for the first person to hit that. And I was on the, I was on the internet with friends in Australia and everywhere else. And I watched it as it came across. The whole world fell apart and evolution started all over. You remember that, right? Nothing happened. But I want you to know, you can trust God. Today's the only day. Give give us this day our daily bread. The manna fell for today. The only time it didn't fall was on the Sabbath. And you're told to get enough on the on the day before the Sabbath to take care of you. You get a, you get enough on Friday to take you through Saturday. I tell you this: you ought to prepare for the future, but you ought never let money ever be that big a deal to you. It's a tool you use. You have money money doesn't have you and we ought to be givers we ought to be very careful some people they get they get proverbs 6 in their minds so much they can't give to anybody they live really weird ways of living they don't give they're 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 scared to death about tomorrow they're going to buy a gun and shoot everybody comes try to steal their stuff dumb 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 then there's another bunch of people that like, hey, I don't know, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow you may die. Dumb, dumb, dumb. There's kind of a balance in the Bible. Both are taught. Well, I just made three people mad and four of you leaving the church. Next verse. Next question. Uh, when are we getting walls? <laughs> uh, <clears throat> we believe in a gospel without walls. And... Uh, uh, well, when are you going to give enough money to get walls? I'll put it that way. <laughs> Jesus answered the question with a question. 
Lord willing, someone has, uh, someone has, uh, has spoken to me about a possible future offering. And we'll be doing something right here, Lord willing. Maybe they're checking into that. There's a possibility that's going to happen. Who knows if that will really happen. I don't, uh, the men of the church, when I've talked to them, have not really wanted to invest money in fixing this building up a whole lot more. We want to wait towards when we get in there. But I'll be honest with you, if like somebody else would say to me, hey, I think we need walls. And it just depends on how much you think we need them. If you think we need them enough to lay the jack down, we'll put the walls up tomorrow. Say amen right there. Next question. And by the way, somebody, they did say something to me about the paint. You know what I said? Hey, you pay for it, we'll paint it. How's that for a deal? Don't, but not green. Black was wild enough. We don't need another one. Can, can, you, you, can you give an update on the Fulton County Church? Uh, 11,757. 11,927. dollars So nearly $12,000 has come in. Uh, that is all I can tell you. Uh, the summit is over, but my life still is, my life's still pretty hectic, but we'll be uh, finding out some things. Uh, this week we have a, 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 a meeting called the Latin Bridge where we'll be meeting with the, this Wednesday night. There'll be a, a, a missionary who the Lord has used to start 250 churches in Kenya. He'll be here. He'll be with us on Thursday. He'll be on Thursday night. He'll be on Friday. Then we have a retreat Friday and Saturday for people reaching mission, uh, reaching the Latin world. And so then that ends. And then the next week, I think it is, I'll even go to uh, Ouagadougou, Burkina Faso, and uh, a Voice in the Villages trip. And so, but after that, Lord willing, I've come back and we're going to really put some work in it. I hope you'll pray. What's the update? The update is God's given the money. Uh, I am asking God to show us what part of Fulton County. There's 1,200,000 people in that area. Somebody needs to start a church there. We have the money maybe to get the groundwork done. Uh, there is no preacher. I constantly get asked, who's the preacher that's going to take over and do that? You are. You know, everybody, everybody in our church ought to be involved in ministry, and I'm praying you'll go with us. I'm praying you give extra time to visit. I'm praying you give extra time to, 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 to help reach people, to help start all the things that go on over there, and that we would be able to get a church going uh, sometime uh, in the spring of this year. So our target date is Easter. That's probably the best I can give you right now. Where in the Bible would you suggest for a new believer to start reading in? How much would you encourage them to read? How would you encourage them to read? Uh, you know, uh, a new believer, I'd probably tell them to go ahead and start in John or, 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 or one of the gospels. I probably wouldn't tell them to start in Genesis, but for all of you that are anywhere, if you've been saved very long at all, I would start in Genesis and I would just read the whole book. I would read the whole Bible. And let me just, let me just kind of give you a couple of instructions on that. There are going to be lots of days when you read your Bible that you get little or nothing out of it. You know, you say, well, that's terrible. Hey, it's normal. Jim Elliott, the great missionary who was killed in the, in the 50s, I guess it was 40s or 50s, there, 50, about the time I was born, he was killed by the Alka Indians. He wrote a book, and his book, uh, his life story just transformed my life. God used it greatly in my life. He died before he was uh, 30 years of age. And uh, if you read the, the, the life and testament of Jim Elliott, it's all good, and it's all the good stuff. But if you get the real big book, which has all of his devotions in it, it says stuff like this, dry reading today got nothing that was his whole devotional entry next day pretty dry again <laughs> next day hard plowing today and so you know his wife left all that out so it looked like everything went good but the best 
people in your life that you know about. When you read the Bible, you're going to come across things that you don't know and you don't understand, but it's all good for you. And so you just read it. And it's the Word of God. Read the Bible and, and let it get into your heart. So I, I, would, I would really love to see you start in Genesis. Go ahead and read the three chapters for today. Go ahead tomorrow and read four, five, and six. Read three to five chapters every day. Finish the whole Bible next year. If you have questions, come ask them. That's why, just, hey, foundations, one of the things you ought to do every time you meet with the person that's training you is say, man, I was reading and I don't get this. But I'll tell you this. I've read the Bible dozens of times. And there are many things in the Bible I simply don't get. Watch this one. They're, the guys who run all the books that are so smart and they know everything, they skip lots of verses. They're like, I got this, and they explain it all the way up to here, and they stop. And, and, and you want to know what's going on in this verse. So you look in their book, and they went up to here, and they start here. And you say, I knew up to here, and I knew starting there, that's the verse I need help in. And they're like, well, I did too. That's why I skipped it. So it's a big book. It's a God book. It's bigger than any of us, and you are never going to understand it. By the way, you don't understand this verse. John eleven thirty five, 35, shortest verse in the Bible. Nobody in this room understands it. Jesus wept. You know, you got a teeny tiny little understanding. We don't understand that. You know why? Because however much we understand, I promise you this, it's a divine word. It is a God word. It is so much more. We'll probably get to heaven and he'll say, let me explain Jesus wept. And we'll be like, wow. How in the world could there be that much in those two words? He'd say, because I'm God and I wrote it. Because it's his book. Amen. Uh, let me see the question one more time. Make sure I answered all that and how much I skipped. Where would you suggest start reading John or Genesis? I think I just told you about that. And, you know, let me say this. Every one of you, can I su- suggest that you do this? Every day, write down one sentence out of what you read in the Bible. One sentence. Uh, Genesis 1 through 3. Maybe you finished today. You could just write this. Genesis 1 through 3. January 1st, 2012. God created the world. That's it. You say, that's all you got. But if you keep doing that all of your life, you will put together literally hundreds of thoughts that will eventually start making more and more sense to you. So read the Bible every way you can. Next question. What is the best parenting advice you can give? <laughs> Pray. I give two. I give you two, two things I think are the most important. Number one, I don't think anybody really knows how to raise children. Any human, I know God knows, uh, but it takes God, and it, so I really think you ought to pray for your kids. Then you ought to wake up in the morning and pray for your kids. You ought to hold them in your arms and pray for them. You ought to pray for them when they're full grown. You ought to pray. They ought to always be on your heart, and it's always going to be God and His grace and His work that changes people's lives. I would really pray for my kids. The second thing I would say is this. You ought to build such an environment of love around your child that whenever you have to discipline them, just a cross word will literally rip their heart out. They need to hear, I love you, 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 I love you. I'm disappointed. And they ought to go, and it ought to be like the end of the world. Then I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. We raised four children, and they are all serving the Lord, and it is all the grace of God because I know that I was not a very good dad. When Chris was little, totally different today probably, but when Chris was little, I could look at Chris and I could say, I just can't believe you did that. It would break his heart. But I could look at Stephanie and I'd say, I can't believe you did that, and she'd just go like this. And I'd say, we're going to whip you, and she'd say, it's almost like she said, bring it on. 
Then we would take her up and beat the living devil out of her. I mean, buddy, we were, we're from the old days. And she would, when you got through beating her, she said, what she'd do, she'd go. No tears, no crying, hard, hard-hearted Hannah, buddy, meaner than the devil. Then run in her room and cry on her pillow. We didn't know that till later. Her, her sister told us uh, and said that's what she used to do. They're not all the same, but I tell you this. I think probably, if anything, the world's going to love on your kids enough, they ought to know you love them. And I'd say an environment of love is probably the best thing. Well, I give, uh, many bring that up, I think of other stuff. I'll give you another one I think is great. Love your spouse. But if they know you love your spouse, and you don't have to worry about, am I going to be divided from mom and daddy? They ought, not, they ought to know you love each other and adore each other. And you're not going anywhere. It's getting close to time. What's the next question? John 5:31 Jesus says that he does not bear witness of himself but in John 8:41 Jesus says he does bear record of himself is Jesus contradicting himself No Watch this Jesus doesn't bear record of himself in this sense and we're reading and John I'm glad you're keeping up and you're knowing that Jesus doesn't bear witness of himself because no wit- the Bible never accepts he said she said The Bible never accepts he said she said The Bible never accepts the witness of one person against another person. You could never put anybody to death and you couldn't punish anybody at the witness of one. So the point is, Jesus said, hey, I'm not my witness. I'm not my witness. My father is my witness. I and my father are my witness. So he does bear record of himself, but he's not by himself. In John 8, we were there today. And in John 8, he said, I do bear witness of myself and my father bears witness of me. But he's not his own. He doesn't say I'm my only witness. And so it's not, it's not that it's a contradiction. It is that there is no, he said, she said in the Bible. Uh, in Christianity, our favorite hobby is gossip. We say, he said, she said, no witnesses. Nobody knows whether it's true or not. Nobody ever checks. Big preachers don't even talk to each other to find out what's true. We just like to talk about stuff. Bible days, you had to be witness. You had to have witnesses. They brought the lady taken into adultery. They had to have witnesses. It's always that. So Jesus doesn't bear witness of himself. He doesn't bear witness of himself. Jesus bears witness of himself. His father bears witness. The scriptures bear witness. Creation bears witness. The conscience bears witness. Everything bears witness that Jesus is the son of God. In 2 Peter chapter number 2, verses 20 and 21, talking about saved people. Um, is 2 Peter chapter 2, 20 through 21, talking about saved people or people who heard of the truth and completely rejected it. 2 Peter 2, 20 and 21. For if after they've escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse for them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they'd known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered to them. It has happened to them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. I want to say to you, I think that's like a parallel passage to uh, Matthew 13, is it? I believe it's Matthew 13. It talks about the four kinds of soil. It talks about the stony ground and, 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 and the one that fell between the, in the weeds. And there are a lot of people that come forth with uh, shallow testimonies of salvation and say they're saved. And they're not truly saved. This is a dog turning back to his vomit, a sow going back to his mire. I believe it's a lost person who got in and acted saved. A lot of people that turn their back on the Lord and you think they're saved and they're still living in sin. The truth of the matter is, let me just explain bluntly what I really believe the Bible says and teaches about this. Here's what it teaches, I think. Either you will change 
or you will be chastised, but you cannot stay the same. If you get saved, if you get saved, God will, he that began a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will perfect it. Uh, Romans 8, 29, he has predestined you to be conformed to the image of his son. God is at work in you and he will take you all the way through. And so if a person gets into, uh, gets saved, quote unquote, and then goes all the way back to the same pit he came from and never comes out of that, you can pretty well be sure he probably wasn't saved. Now, let me say this. I can't judge that. I can't judge if he went out and out because I'm not the one that's going to be able to judge that. And the Lord may be really working on him and he may be going to get his life right with God. But I would say to you that's talking about lost people. Why does the Bible use the number seven so many times? Because God likes it. Okay. Um, uh, I don't know. I'm not into numerology. Seven is a symbol of completeness and perfection and God is... They say, and that's the best answer I'm going to give you. There are whole books written on numerology. I think it's a dangerous thing. I can tell you that I've read books that say five is the number of grace and five is the number of death in a different book. just depends on who wrote the book. So he likes seven. Seven seems to be the weak and the complete. Solomon's Solomon's, uh, throne was six steps up. Solomon's throne was six steps up. Man's number is 666. So I think seven is a reference to God and his power. Is it better to marry or stay single? I'm confused because of 1 Corinthians 7, 8, Genesis 2, 20. <laughs> well, it sure was better for me to get married. Um, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Is that the last question? 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you would. Let's look at that right quick. The apostle Paul seems to almost be against marriage. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7. But if you read the chapter, his whole thought in the chapter is this. Hey, times are, the, the times are evil. Jesus is coming soon. We don't have much time. Every married guy ought to live like he's single, and every single guy ought to stay single. And the only reason you ought to get married is because you can't help it. You've got to get married. Uh, so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 7 uh, talking about the times. Uh, I think it's verse 30. Let's see. 7.30 or 32 maybe. Go to 7.32. 1 Corinthians 7 verse 32. I would have you without carefulness. He that's unmarried cares for the things that belong to the Lord that he may please the Lord. He that's married cares for the things of the world how he may please his wife. So look this way real quickly. If you're going to let your wife or your husband keep you from serving God, you ought not get married. Your spouse should never take the place of the Lord. Your spouse should never be sitting on the throne of your heart. Your spouse should always come in second, but only to the Father. When I say the Father, I mean all the Father. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Ghost, God. She should come in second. I should be willing to lose my wife for God. I should be willing to serve God even if I didn't get a wife. So that that's, that's never the issue. But I'm going to tell you that 99.9% of the time, you probably ought to get married. And marriage is a man and a woman, and it's a lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime. And if you've already been through a divorce and your heart's broken, but you're with another person, then from right where you are, one man, one lifetime. One man, one woman, one lifetime from here on out. And so uh, God made man, and he didn't give him a helpmate. 
And then he gave him a help meet, and that help meet was to help him do the work that God gave him to do. In First Corinthians, Paul's like, time's too short. And all you guys, every one of you guys I see getting married, you know what you do? You can't come to church because your wife doesn't feel like coming. You can't come to church because your husband's got a headache. You can't, all you do is use your spouse for an excuse. You get married and you use your spouse as an excuse. I wish y'all wouldn't get married. So I'll tell you this. I really believe that Betty has been a helpmeet to me. That means a person that was fitted to help me do the work that I've done. And so from the beginning, here's God's plan. This is, and this is a little bit of a shocker and it's a little strong, but God's plan is never for women to be in charge. Say amen if you're man enough to say it. Ask permission. God's plan is always for men to be in charge. I know that's not politically correct, but it's God's plan from the book of Genesis on. And every wife needs to understand that in God's economy, your career is not the important career. Well, you, li- you ladies will not like that one. But God gave a man a job to do and a wife to help him do that job. Nothing wrong with you having a career. Nothing wrong. Proverbs 31 woman gives me a right to say that she did work outside the home. So nothing wrong with that. But you know what? You are there to help your husband. So should you get married? Yeah, get married. But if you get married, know this. You're getting married for life. For life. Don't you get married unless it's for life. And don't you get married and ever let marriage hinder you. From doing what God wants you to do. Marriage should never hinder you from doing exactly what God would have you do with your life. It ought to be that you're a better servant of God. By the way, ladies, can I just say this? Man, uh, fire me. It's 2012. My, my, my resolution, find a new job. You ready for this? Man, raising kids is one of the most godly, wonderful things any of you mothers could, any of you ladies could ever do. One of the greatest things you could ever do for the kingdom is all the hours and all the time you'd invest in a child. You ought never. This world embarrasses you about being a mother. It's like you ought to be ashamed that you're a mother. (laughs) The opposite is true. It ought to be like, glory to God, I am a mom. I get to raise children. I get to teach children. I get to bring them up in the admonition of the Lord and the nurture of the Lord. And this is the most exciting, wonderful work I can do. Hey, your, your nursery, your house is like a pulpit for the greatest preacher in the world. You get to train men. You, ought to, you ladies ought to shout. You ought to shout. And just going to, boy. And it'd be awful good if our men worked and paid the bills and let their wives take care of the babies. I read a verse that said keepers at home. Now, I know that goes against the philosophy, and I know things are hard, and I'm not saying, I don't want you to, don't dare go home and say, boy, he's being ugly to us tonight. No, I just want you to understand, being a mom, sacrifice what you got to do, raise them kids. Hey, eat more beans and less meat, but raise those kids. Raise those kids. And you mothers, boy, don't you let Oprah or Phil or Joel or whoever that might like to talk to you about your need for your career. The greatest career you could have is raising children. Oh, to be the mother of Adonai Judson. Oh, to be the mother that raised William Carey. Oh, to be the mother that raised Trent Cornwell. And I mean that from the bottom. No mocking intended. No playing. Can you imagine his mother, Trent's mother... She'll never go down in the annals of great preachers. But God is already using Trent in a way that is unreal. 
And though we may never on this earth recognize her as having done much, she gave birth to and raised and trained a man that loves Jesus and loves the Bible. What a privilege. Ladies, get married, have babies, and raise them for Jesus. I need a new church. Have Bible, we'll travel. Uh, Gentlemen, let's take an offering. Have Bible, we'll travel. That's my life's motto. Let's take an offering uh, and uh, give give as the Lord has blessed you. And uh, then right after this offering and this song, uh, Brother Trent will come with the, the announcements. Uh, uh, by the way, can I just say this? Anything I did, anything I said that I didn't show you a Bible verse for, mark it up to the opinion of a rambling idiot. And anything I showed you a Bible verse for, you take that and go with it. But I will tell you this. It is clear in the Bible. It is clear in the Bible that God gave a job to the man, made a woman to be his helpmeet. And all through the Bible, God's work is done through the men that he calls to do that in women that he gives to help them father bless this offering honor your name through it carry the gospel to the world bless everybody that's here thank you for a wonderful church that even on new year's day they came to church and they were here in town thank you for those of our family that are traveling Uh, they're all over the place and they're traveling and they'll be home for next week but i just pray you bless and use all this for your honor and glory and i give you praise in jesus name amen You have been listening to Austin Gardner, pastor of Vision Baptist Church. For contact information, location, service times, or more audio and video recordings, log on to www.visionbaptist.com.